0: Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Well, hey everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Susan Guthrie, nationally recognized in the US as one of the top family and mediation lawyers in the country. Susan has been helping individuals and families navigate separation and divorce for 30 years and has recently moved into the training field and partnered with renowned mediation trainer Woody Mostyn to create the Mostyn Guthrie Academy, which provides online mediation training for professionals. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Tala. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to to talk to you about this. I feel like, um, well, this is kind of sad saying this, but don't like 50% of marriages end in divorce? So we have a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, 50% of first marriages, it's actually even higher for second and third marriages. So, Oh, that's, yeah. that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Yeah, I know. And it's even worse during COVID. Numbers oh, are going yeah. up, unfortunately, during the pandemic. So all the way around, unfortunately, it's a timely topic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really makes sense. Uh, some friends of mine have really been struggling with their partners who they've been with for years and who I was certainly not expecting to hear that from. So yeah, it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? It's a lot of pressure.
1: It is. Well, being with anyone, think about it, anyone 24 seven every day now for eight months, it's, it's a little bit of a strain.
0: Hmm, That's very true. It is interesting though I went over to my girlfriend's house and I was reading with her daughter and I was like, man, she's really improved and she's like since COVID she's, she can read now. <laughs> she can totally read. <laughs> so I was like, there's one plus.
1: <laughs> one side benefit. exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, uh, I'd love if you could share a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are now.
1: Yeah, so you know I've been in the divorce space for 30 years, but my my role as a divorce professional has changed drastically, I would say, from when I started when I first got out of law school 30 years ago. When I when I first started in the practice, I was what I would call a pretty traditional divorce litigator. Uh, You know, I advocated for my clients, I went to court, I filed motions, I handled trials, I negotiated agreements. Um, and I did that all and I did it pretty well. Um, so I enjoyed it, you know, I'm a competitive personality. So there was something about going into a courtroom and, you know, fighting things out and using your wits and trying to win, so to speak Mm -hmm. that I enjoyed, but then it slowly took me longer than it should have, um, slowly dawned on me that it wasn't really effectuating a very good outcome for my clients. That all that conflict and adversity of the divorce process was only making them then go out into the into life after divorce in a worse place than where they were when they walked into my office. So um, about ten years ago, I I transformed into a divorce mediator, and five years ago, I became an online divorce mediator. And that you know during COVID, now I've switched over to training mediators how to do their mediations online and handle cases so that we can help people even during COVID and, and beyond. So it's really, I've changed quite a bit as I've gone along in my career.
0: Yeah. I bet you've seen some really kind of nasty behavior. which oh,
1: You name it, I've seen it. I mean, it would be hard. I said this to a client the other day, uh, it's hard to surprise me with how poorly some people can behave, even, mm-hmm. you know, rational people who are absolutely lovely in their normal, rational, sane selves. Um, there's nothing about divorce that makes, that brings out the good in people for the most part, you know, it's a difficult process. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately I've, you know, from the dog poop in the shoes to the burning, the clothes to the, Oh, my gosh. oh you name it. I've, I've seen it. <laughs> Yeah. Wow! I honestly,
0: my mind didn't even go there. I wouldn't have. Oh. I just wouldn't have kind of thought. Actually, like now we're on it. Like, can you tell us a little bit more? What kind of behavior? Because I certainly would not have thought of dog poop in the shoes.
1: Like, that's oh, brutal. I, well, I hope I'm not giving a bunch of people ideas right now. But you know, we have <laughs> this the, is you what know, not people, to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. Please do not mimic these behaviors, because honestly, those are the things that led. To, you know, further conflict and, and bad outcomes. But yeah, no, I have seen people call the police because one person ate the other person's leftover fish in the, in the refrigerator, out of the refrigerator. Well, the children were in the house, they called the police on the other parent because they wanted him arrested for theft. Um, I have seen people sell their soon-to-be ex's motorcycle for a dollar at a garage sale. I've seen, you name it, you know, taking someone's favorite things and smashing them. Um, I've seen people take scissors to, you know, a closet full of very expensive clothing. Um, You name it. I've seen what people can do in that moment of anger, hurt fury, sadness, whatever those emotions are, they come up in divorce and there's nothing about the process, especially if it's litigated, that brings that, that negative emotion down. It actually ramps it up. And so imagine somebody goes and rips up your clothes. What are you going to do? You're usually going to escalate it. So I've had people throw donuts in depositions it was at me. So, oh my gosh! I, got, oh my I gosh. soon learned not to serve food in depositions. Uh, so yeah, you see, you do see the worst sort of behavior that people can exhibit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine—I mean, certainly not to excuse the behavior, but I can imagine that it's coming from a real, like you said, really intensely hurt place. I just want to—I just want to ask actually, just out of curiosity: Have you ever had someone not respond? Like, so, like someone, let's say, do something is you know, as kind of malicious as cutting up your whole wardrobe of really expensive clothes, and then someone just go, you know what, I was in the wrong, I'm just going to cop it? Or is it usually kind of, if they're at litigation, it's normally like way more nasty than that by the time they get there?
1: Yeah, you know, so it's two different things. If they're in litigation, unfortunately, yes, I've never seen it where somebody just de-escalated that conflict. And because that process isn't built around de-escalation, right, it's built around escalation, and so immediately, and I have to say in my lawyer brain, I immediately would hear that and go, wow, we can make that person look bad in a right. courtroom for doing something so petty and destructive. So the, you know, the process actually uses that information. Right. Um, and then in the mediation process where the people are working together, it's not that it's easier in mediation. It's actually very hard to sit down and have discussions with your soon-to-be ex about how you're going to divide your stuff and your time with your children. But because they're usually trying to work together, you don't usually see that level of behavior in the mediation process that you might see in the litigation process. Mm -hmm. So
0: let's talk about the difference between those, just to clarify for anyone listening who doesn't know, because I'm, you know, I mean, it sounds like the difference is the, like the, when you go to litigation, you're just like, I just want to like tear you apart uh, basically. And then the mediation is like, let's try and figure this out together if we can. Is that that kind of close? I
1: mean, that's a good summary. You know, the way I always (laughs) describe it to people, that was good because the way I describe it is, so litigation is a process where it's party A versus it's set up on a a litigation, you know, just like a car accident. And it's all very past focused. Like we're just talking about that example I gave where we take the behavior of one party and we use it to sort of craft it into terms and facts that will help our client's case. Well, we're always looking at what they've done. Whereas in mediation, we're always trying to look forward toward the future. What happened in the past is in the past. And we're going to try and see where the family's at now and how we can help them go forward and what we can craft for them. So they're, they're completely divergent processes, right? You know, one is, going to get you through the divorce by looking backwards and you'll end here. And the other, you start here and we're going to end hopefully having a plan for your future.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That really hit me when you said like a car accident. Cause yeah. yeah wow. It's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, wh- here
1: in the States, now you honestly, I think in Australia have a better system where mediation is the first attempt to try and resolve conflict, which is fantastic. I mean, you're way ahead of us in that. Here in the US, everybody like thinks you have to lawyer up and go the litigation or the lawsuit route. But if you think about it, lawsuits were built for disputes. Like you said you were going to do something for me, like build my house and you didn't do it or you didn't do it right. You rear-ended me at a, a red light and my neck hurts. It's your fault. That's what lawsuits were created to resolve. Not, we have children, we got married, we've accrued money and assets and debt and children together. How are we going to help our family go forward, but not in the same house? It's a completely different process, yet we try to shoehorn it into that litigation mold. Mm -hmm. And it's really the worst possible place for it
0: mm mm-hmm. I'm glad
1: you brought up the children.
0: I have never personally been through a divorce. My parents divorced when I was six months old, so I don't remember anything, thankfully. Yeah. But I did go through a divorce where a company I worked for, and I was very close with the owner, she divorced her husband. And I swear that was like, I felt like a child because I was, both of them were saying, you can't speak to this person. You can't speak to this person legally. And I was like, well, also I'm Australian, right? So I was like, I don't know the American law. Like, is that true? And also I'm like, well, I'm in Australia. I doubt there's anything you could do to me. <laughs> but there could probably. be, right? There probably yeah. could be something. But then I was also like, oh, I don't want to get involved in this. And it was so messy. And I remember they got mediation. But it was interesting that you were saying talking with your ex because they didn't talk with their ex. The mediator went between them. And yeah. uh, and I just I just remember thinking this is hell. And if I was a child, I'd be definitely be messed up from this. I can definitely say that this can damage children. So uh, let me, let me just before I diverge from this kind of um, train of thought, is there any tips that you could give our listeners for avoiding pain for their children, basically?
1: You know, this is, this is one of those things that almost every couple who comes into the divorce process, whether it's litigation, mediation, collaborative law, whatever they might, be doing you can usually find one thing they will agree on that is that they want their children to be okay right i've never had a client come in and say yeah i don't really care if my kids aren't okay because of this right the problem is is they they will do not consider things from the viewpoint of their children they consider the children in many cases and their time with the children and the children's attention and love as if it's a commodity just like the house and the bank accounts. And also it becomes part of, you know, the the phrase we hear most often when it comes to figuring out the children is I want 50, 50, I want 50% of their time. And I've literally had people count that out on a spreadsheet down to like the minute as if your children's time were a commodity. And that's not what it, that's not what their time is. That's not what their love is. And really who they spend their time with has nothing to do with what's best for them. Right. What's best for them is what works for them. And so if I were going to give my highest level tip to parents is you have to, excuse my French, but suck it up and actually not just walk, talk the talk, but walk the walk and put your children first. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, they always talk the talk. They rarely walk the walk. And it is really the most important part. You have to look at things from the perspective of your children.
0: Yeah, so important. I mean, yeah, it's really hard, isn't it, to lift the kind of cotton wool off your eyes of the pain of the divorce and go, hang on, what's really going on here for my child? Because it's really interesting as well. Another friend of mine, she's going through a separation and she said, it's so interesting. We've hidden a lot of it from our children, but I'm still seeing behavior changes in my child. They know, they know, right?
1: they haven't hid it from their children. Yeah. So it's, they only think they have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear this and, um, and really, you know, quite painful. These children are a lot of the times very young, right? And oh yeah,
1: But there are a lot of things you can do for your children. One of the things, honestly, that I would say to your friend is you're actually not doing your children a favor by Hiding things from them because they do sense what's happening in a household, and so you are actually far better off to talk to them in an appropriate way. In an if they she's got littles or he's got little that uh, um, then it's important that you speak to them in a way that a, a young child can understand. But keeping children in the dark is actually incredibly anxiety-causing for children. Mm. And so it's, act, it's much, much better to actually talk to them. And it just happens to, to be that I have... So this is a book that a friend of mine wrote. It's called Parenting Apart. Christina McGee, she's a parenting expert. It's an excellent book, and it talks to parents about all of those little things that they can do to, to talk to their children and keep them in the loop. Um, because that's what so many parents do. They think they're hiding it from the kids. And then, you know, they find out years later that the kids always knew. But, and, and to what you were talking about earlier, I think it was actually a really good point you made when you were stuck in the divorce between your two bosses. That's where kids feel they are, right? Like one yeah. parent saying, you can't talk to that parent or the, how about the parent? We just talked about this because we're doing a holiday episode. And it was, you know, well, where do you want to spend Christmas? Do you want to spend Christmas at mom's or do you want to spend Christmas at dad's or where do you want to open presents? Think about the position that puts a child in, right? And so honestly, what kids do a lot of the time is they'll say to the one parent who's asking, oh, I want to spend it with you. And then when the other parent asks, they're going to say, I want to spend it with you. Mm. And then the parents think they're lying to each other. So we Mm. are much better off actually being honest with our children in a way that they can assimilate at their age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I just couldn't believe how difficult it was. And I was an adult and I just kept thinking, I just feel so bad for all these children that are going through this. If their parents' behavior is similar to this, because it wasn't nice and no one was thinking about us. I mean, I was getting paid. So, you know, they're like, what, whatever. You right. Kids are it. not getting
1: paid. <laughs> Kids are yeah. not getting
0: paid. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really interesting as well. But I, I do remember my parents asking me questions when I was young and, and it's kind of like when you're young, you, you know, you, you just take the path of least resistance as well. You're like, what do I, you know, like what's tangible for me? What kind of cool things can I do? What kind of time we're we going to spend together? You know, you're going to, I mean, I remember wanting to spend the time with the parent who was the most present, not
1: the one who was working all the time. So I was like, well, right. you know, that's actually a really good point. And when people are talking about parenting time with their children, as opposed to calling it 50-50. But if you're actually going to have them with a nanny or a, a caregiver, because you're at work, maybe not right now in COVID, but beyond COVID, when some people go back to work in offices, might it not be better for your kids to be with their other parents? You know, there's ways to, to balance that. And, and there's a huge school of thought that, that, you know, doing what's best for your children means looking at it from the perspective of how it affects their lives. You know, something as simple as giving children a gift during, you know, we're coming into the holidays. I've seen cases where a parent will give a child a gift, but say, you can't take that over to your other parent's house. It has to stay here. So, you know, then then you're sort of giving your child a gift, but it's a conditional gift. Mm -hmm. And now they have to be worried you're going to be upset if that baseball glove or whatever it is, somehow makes its way. Or your child who really loves that gift has to leave it behind while they go do something. And parents do that sort of thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate. You know, I had a parent say to me the other day, we were talking about what to do about Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And one of the possible suggestions was, you know, the children are with one parent on Christmas Eve, the other on Christmas Day. And she said, well, I just can't imagine how I'm going to get through Christmas. If my kids aren't with me and who were we talking about right there, mm-hmm. were we talking about her kids or her? Yes. And I understand it. We're human. We are all human, but we have to shift. That's why I say you have to sort of suck it up yeah. because this is that time where if you're going to be the parent, you're going to have to suck it up.
0: Yeah. And it's not about you it really is not about you. I mean, you're doing this thing that is affecting directly affecting your children. And so really the focus needs to be, okay, what's, yeah, like you said, what's best for them? What's, you know, what is their perspective as well? And sometimes it's kind of like, like you said, if they're really young, you can't always ask. You have to really try and put yourself in their shoes and try to understand.
1: Well, a lot of the time, what you can do as a gift for your children is take the pressure off them having to make decisions. You know, instead of one of the people, uh, one of the experts I was just talking to had a great thing about, you know, the Christmas play in school. And so imagine you've got mom sitting on one side of the auditorium and dad sitting on the other and the child finishes the play and comes down and is like, where do I go first? Right. And what child wouldn't do if I run to dad, mom might be upset. And if I run to mom, dad might be upset. So the person suggested, why don't you just say, Hey, I know mom's going to be there. Why don't you, you know, when you're done, why don't you run over and say hi to her and I'll be waiting for you over, over there and just take it off your child's plate so they don't need to worry about it. That's putting your child first, Mm -hmm. not putting them in the middle, not making them make those decisions.
0: Yeah. I really love that. That's super helpful. Thank you. Um, what about, uh, I mean, I, I, imagine that's the most emotional part of the divorce is the children. That's the, the big thing that everyone, you know, Oh, well, the um,
1: money can be pretty big too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the money then. Yeah. So, okay. So children first, is this, would this be typical? So children in, in the hierarchy of importance, children first, I, I would imagine, hopefully. And then, so then yeah. money.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, most pe- you know, most people think that the parenting plan is going to work itself out so they will often push that down the road and get to the finances first because when it comes to divorce and finances that is probably the area where there's the most fear for right. people and and for good cause because sense, you're yeah. taking, you know, one household's income or money and you're going to split it into two now frankly unless you have a lot of money There's going to be less money to go around. So there's always a great deal of anxiety and fear around that issue. So it's usually where people want to start, actually. And and it's it's also important to start there because that may have something to do, how the finances break down may have something to do with what works out best for the kids as well. You know, the, the marital residence or the house that the family lived in is often a big issue well, can one parent continue to afford it to keep the kids in their school district or whatever that might be? So they are combined. It's all one big puzzle, but the, d- dividing up the money and the debt, because it's not just the good stuff. I always tell people it's also the bad stuff, the money that's owed, the $100,000 in credit card bills or whatever that might be. Wow. Um, yeah, you have to divide it all. And that's where people can get incredibly... Picky about how money was spent or who earned what, um, and often the law doesn't coincide with what people think that, think is fair.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it just sounds so messy already.
1: How long oh, it is this, it's messy? How long does
0: this process normally take? Like, um, I have absolutely no kind of idea how long this would take.
1: Well, I will say it depends on which of the methods you choose to move through the process. Litigation is by far the longest. That back and forth, you know, and acrimony just drags everything out. But you can have a mediated case. Usually they move more quickly. But if there's a high level of emotion that, you know, it's the emotion that slows things down. Because what we're talking about in either case, usually, is people making decisions about how they're going to divide stuff or how they're going to co-parent. And people who are emotionally upset do not make rational decisions and are not able to be rational. So the more upset one or both parties are for whatever reason, good reason, bad reason, whatever, it doesn't matter. If they're upset, it just drags the process out longer. I was just writing an article about adultery how adultery affects divorce. And there's actually two answers to that. There's legally, legally in the US, adultery doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect the divorce much, if at all. There are certain circumstances where it might have a little effect, but not much. But from the getting your case over with and settled side, it has a huge effect. Because when you cheat on your spouse, whether, whatever your reasons were for doing it, you are going to create an emotional problem, right? You're going to have a person who's upset and that means the divorce is going to get dragged out longer. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on which way you're looking at it. What about, um, what about pets? How do, how do
0: pets get
1: divided? hugely emotional, huge. I, I happen to have um, dogs myself. I'm a big, huge pet lover. And for the most part, now I can only speak to U.S. law on pets, up until very recently, pets were treated like a piece of furniture. They were—they oh were just something that was owned, and so whoever owned it owned it. And you know, pets are our our comfort animals. They are our companions. They mm-hmm. are members of our family. To those of us who are dog nuts or whatever type of animal nut we are, and so that has caused a lot of anxiety and upset and stress for people because not only does it mean that. It the the pet's welfare is not taken into consideration when dividing where they're going to go, but also it it gives if there's animosity or anger, it gives one of the parties a weapon to use against the other person because they can try to take their pet away from them. So recently, few states in the U.S., California, Illinois, and a few other states have passed laws that do allow, in divorce cases, judges to sort of take the pet's best interest into consideration, which almost treats them like a child as opposed to a piece of property. Um, But that can be one of the most emotionally difficult. I had a case not long ago, and what made it difficult, it was an unmarried couple, and he bought the dog, but when she moved out, she took the dog. And so he owned the dog. Legally, it was his dog, but she took the dog. They had never been married. So it was like they were fighting over a chair and trying to get into court to do anything about it. It took a year before he got his dog back. Wow. Um, and it was really a difficult, difficult situation because now the dog had been with the other person for a year and was bonded to the other person. You know, it's 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 a tough one, It
0: is a really tough one. And I definitely know how emotional people get with their pets. And yeah, and it's such a, um, I know a lot of people have pets for anxiety reducing reasons. So it's actually kind of like an an aid for their mental health. And yeah, I I can imagine how incredibly difficult that must be. Oh man, are there ever any cases where they kind of get their dog 50-50?
1: Usually not if a court is ordering it. If the court is ordering it, I have had judges order that the pet go where the children go. Oh, that so makes the sense. pet kind of becomes the ch- children's, but for the most part, no, the judge doesn't have the ability to do that. But we, we do negotiate, I have to say in my own divorce, we negotiated a pet parenting plan that you know was written into our agreement that basically said when the dogs were with me and when they were with my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. you can negotiate one, but it's not done um, all the time. Actually, that's a perfect segue. Let's talk a little bit about
0: what we can do before we get to this point to kind of write in some, I don't know, I guess some rules. And I I know that a lot of people are like, well, prenups are offensive or they're unsexy. And, you know, what kind of, what's your opinion on that? And also um, what can we do to protect, uh, I guess, protect ourselves from a lot of this behavior?
1: I mean, I, I hate to say it, but a prenup is actually the best way to do it or a cohabitation agreement. These days, not every, you know, the, the marriage rate is actually going down quite a bit. Uh, millennials and younger are just uh, just not as interested in act, getting married, entering into that legal state as older generations. So we're seeing a lot more couples getting together, living together, creating households, having children, but not entering into that legal status of married. Um, And and the only problem with that is, is the law has not caught up to that situation. So when you get married, certain legal things go into place, protections and obligations. You have an obligation to support your spouse. You are entitled to certain things from your spouse. Um, When things are purchased or earned, they become, you get an interest in them. When you're not married, but you put all the same effort in, but without that piece of paper, you don't get those same rights and obligations and protections. So, and even when there are children, you know, there's, there are still issues. So if you're going to cohabit unmarried, if you're going to have children unmarried, or if you're thinking of getting married, an agreement is actually a way for you to discuss some of the difficult topics that may come up before they come up and you're upset, right? When you talk, we just finished talking about the fact that when you discuss things, when you split up all that anger and emotion and emotional content colors our rational thinking. Mm -hmm. But if you talk about these things ahead of time, you can have these rational conversations, or at least hopefully more rational. You can talk about difficult things with help, um, a lot of people will mediate premarital agreements, mediate cohabitation agreements, mediate parenting or paternity agreements. And, you know, it's all from that person. You're right. They're not sexy. I mean, I, I, there's nothing, woo-hoo, let's talk about our divorce before we even get married. But it is that opportunity to have some of the difficult conversations that I can tell you after being a divorce attorney for 30 years, most couples skip. and they don't have them. Money is one of the number one reasons I see people getting divorced. And it's usually because they have very different monetary styles. Usually it's a spender with a saver. And how they didn't know that before they got married is because they never talked about it. So one of the things that any of those agreements will do, it will make you have those conversations. And we as as a species hate having difficult conversations. We just hate it and we will do anything to avoid it. I call it ostrich syndrome. Sticking our head in the sand, but you only harm yourself by doing that. And so I do encourage people, it is very hard. I will tell you to go sit down at the kitchen table or at Starbucks or wherever with your intended, your fiance, your your, you know, baby daddy, baby mama and have these conversations. Sit down with somebody who can help you have the conversation. That's a mediator, a therapist, Someone who knows what you need to talk about and who can help you have, because usually there's a little bit of a power imbalance in relationships. Right, Relationships tend to unfold in a certain way. And so sometimes one party needs to be supported and bolstered so they can say certain things or look out for themselves. And one of the parties might need a little, like, you know, a little hold your, hold your horses, Jack. You know, sort of cooling yeah, down. <laughs> yeah, you know. Wait a minute. Let let the other person speak, or you know, well, have you have have you considered this from you know your partner's point of view, or that sort of thing? But it's actually a very helpful thing to do ahead of time, mm-hmm. and you will save yourselves a lot of conflict um, down the road. Now, one thing I will say is, most in the United States, you cannot pre-determine. Uh, custodial rights and things like that around children. Um, you can put into something into place for right now for your children, but if your children's best interests change, so will the, the parenting plan if a court determines that it's not in their best interest. So you, but you could predetermine what you think is best at least mm-hmm. you could talk about it.
0: Yeah. I really like that. I, th- I feel like that's really proactive. And uh, I, I, I just, I, a friend of mine, she's a doctor. She said this to me. She said, now as a doctor in Australia, you're basically all, everything's kind of taken away from you when you walk in and, um, and you're just the decision maker. So the nurses give you all the information and then they do all of the, the the fringe stuff. And then you just come in and you make the, the life or death decision. And I kind of feel like that in relationships, it's like, you know, when you give somebody the information that they need to move forward, they have the opportunity to make different decisions But I feel like if those conversations aren't had, then you miss out on a lot of the opportunity as well. Like you said about the spender and the saver being together and not knowing because you'd never had that conversation. And and I don't know that anyone would go, well, you're a spender and I'm a saver, like we're going to break up, but it's something to be aware of, right? And navigate then and go, okay, well, maybe we both need to meet halfway here before we get to that breakup point.
1: (laughs) And come up with a plan. Maybe it calls for a budget. Maybe it calls for the spender having a certain amount of discretionary money to spend however they wish, or setting a threshold. Um, I've seen couples do this. You can buy anything you want if it's under $200, but if you're going to spend more than $200, we need to talk about it. Or something like that. Have some parameters and boundaries that you've agreed on when you're calm and cool and collected and don't find out your spouse or your you know, significant other has gone out and can't even, I mean, bought a golf course or whatever they might do. (laughs) Right. You never know. So having those boundaries, putting in place those conversations and just having understandings um, doesn't mean they're not going to violate it every once in a while, or you might not do something wrong, but at least you've already had the conversations around it. Mm -hmm. It's certainly going
0: to make the process a lot easier.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about um, mediation. I really
0: like how you said that, you know, divorce is kind of looking back and picking everything apart. Um, Sorry, uh, litigation is, and then um, mediation is kind of like, okay, how can we kind of Create a new possibility for ourselves, a new life. And let's talk about splitting it so we can move into step into that life, which I think is a lot more progressive and, and yeah, just a lot more useful, really, isn't it? Like, I, I a lot just, more useful. Yeah. 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 Let's move forward. So let's talk about like, um, First of all, how long does that process take? And is so is it your job as a lawyer when somebody comes to you to to kind of point them in the direction of which one you think would be best or how does that work? How does how do they choose mediation over litigation?
1: You know, most people I will discuss the options with people. I stopped doing litigation several years ago, so I don't people don't generally come to me for that anymore. I do think a good practitioner lets people know all of the different options that are available to them. I discuss with people when they come to me for a consult, the differences between litigation and mediation um, so that they know because there are some aspects of litigation that might work well for them and maybe that's what makes it a better process for them. I will also explain to them where I think mediation is better most people seem to find a lot of their information online ahead of time or from family and friends who have gone through the process. So a lot of the time in those first meetings, I'm correcting some of the incorrect information that they've gotten. But I do think that it's, it's important for... You know, mediation is 100% voluntary. You cannot make, I mean, some courts will compel you to go to mediation, but in general, mediation is a process that people choose to go to. They both have to decide they want to be there in that process. They very well may have different reasons for being there, but they both have to choose it. If not, unfortunately, litigation is the default. But what I always do tell people, at least under our system here is, You lose nothing by trying mediation. If it doesn't work, litigation is always going to be there waiting to catch you and take you through the process. But trying to, you know, there's a big difference between going into a courtroom and letting someone in a black robe decide what's going to happen with your money, with your children. And you and your, even if you don't like them very much right now, you and your ex Making decisions about that future together. I mean, just think about that—some stranger, or or you two, pulling up your big boy and big girl pants and making your own decisions. Just right. makes more sense.
0: hmm mm-hmm. And so, when let's say, uh, because I, I'm just, I'm, something that someone said to me years ago really stuck with me, and I think it's really kind of, uh, kind of what's what's the word? Uh, really relevant to this situation. Is she, she said high emotion, low intellect, high intellect, low emotion. Yeah. And so, and the reason why I mentioned that was because like, so you're coming out of a divorce and then you go into litigation straight away and you're all hot, right? You don't have time to like cool down. Does it usually happen that fast, like
1: from the date of the breakup? So it it depends. Usually what we see is one of the couple who've been thinking about, should I stay or should I, I call it the, should I stay or should I go, you know, song, but they've been thinking about it for a while, right? They've been going back and forth. It's like the pre-divorce limbo. And they finally make up their mind. Yes. I want a divorce and spring it on the other person. Right. And most often that person is now where the first person was a month or a year or however long ago. But this person who's been waffling back and forth for a while, they want to get going. They've been waiting for a while, right? They've been, not, they've been living in that limbo for a while. Now they want to get it done. And so unfortunately, the person who just found out they're getting a divorce can get pulled into the process, kicking and screaming against their, you know, just not ready for it. And they are very much in that place where, you know, the divorce emotional process is very much like all grief processes, right? You start and sadness and hurt and uh, are are definitely where grief is where people start. They're going to move into anger. Trust me, it's coming, but they're going to start. So they're very often still just dealing with the incredible overwhelm of sadness and fear and those emotions where the other person's like, come on, this is a business deal. Let's just get this done. And so that is one of the really difficult parts is you rarely have a couple come through the door who are in the same place. Mm -hmm. Um, And truly for both of them, I will say the best thing that the person who has decided they want a divorce could do for both of them is to give the other person a chance to get up to speed emotionally, to process and, and get moving forward because if you are dragging them in, their emotional content is going to slow down your process. They're not going to be able to make rational decisions. They're going to be very, very emotional. And you pushing it along isn't going to make it go any faster. Mm-hmm. You, are not, you cannot push someone into being rational. You cannot make them calm down and just get it over with. So I've always told people, you know, that, I call it the pause Give yourself the gift of the pause. Once you've made the decision to divorce, give your, your soon to be ex the gift of the pause as well. You don't usually have to dive into it as if it, there's a house on fire somewhere. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh man. I, even just talking about this, it's, it feels so heavy and so sad and just so emotional. You said before that you, are, are you, you do mediation online. Do you uh, service all states in the US or is the law different or how does that work?
1: The law is different in every single state, and I am only licensed to practice as a lawyer in two states, California and Connecticut. So. When I am doing mediations, I only do them in those two states. Um, I've actually suspended my mediation practice for the moment just because I'm so busy training uh, the people that go online. COVID has kind of made Mm. mediators and lawyers very much need to be able to practice online and they don't know how to do it. And I've been doing it for a long time. So um, my training practice has just exploded. exploded. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the need for online mediation, frankly, has exploded as well because I don't in Australia, I don't know if your courts are open. Our courts have been closed for the most part since the beginning of COVID. So for eight or nine months, people who want to get divorced or deal with their family matters don't have a court to go to. So mediation has become incredibly popular so not only do we need more mediators we need the mediators who can who can handle matters online so mm-hmm. it's made me very very busy Yeah covid's really
0: changing the game for a lot of things like it's great i, I can see my doctor on the other side of town and i don't have to drive
1: over Exactly, <laughs> I'm exactly. walking in the park
0: talking to my doctor it's great
1: <laughs> Yeah if only we could get our hair done through the internet yeah. because- It'd
0: be great. Exactly. I know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All the pleasure and none of the pain. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So if people want to get in touch with you, this has been super enlightening. Thank you so much. I've learned so much. Um, I've also learned that I don't think I ever want to get a divorce. Not a lot of fun. No, no. And of course nobody plans it, right? Um, yeah. but if somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, too, maybe they are a lawyer or they, um, you said you have said you suspended your practice, but they want to learn how to take their practice online. How can they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, So my training practice is learntomediateonline.com. I tried to keep it simple so people could uh, remember it. And then I also have um, a podcast, the Learn to Mediate Online podcast for professionals. Mm -hmm. And then I have the Divorce and Beyond podcast for um, people who are going through divorce uh, and and other professionals in that space. So uh, divorceandbeyondpod.com or learntomediateonline.com. Beautiful, beautiful. And I will make sure I'll drop all of the
0: links that we've mentioned in this episode. So you can go to rebellove.com forward slash EP 13 again, that's rebellove.com forward slash EP one, three. So episode 13, Susan, thank you so much for being here. I have learned so much and hopefully everybody else has too.
1: um, it's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. For listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love,
0: sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. And find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.